What's up everyone and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto assets. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi, and in today's episode, we have the super talented Richard Ma, who's the CEO of Quantstamp. In this episode, we talk about smart contract auditing, how Quantstamp is contributing to the Dubai blockchain strategy, how they are automating the audits for millions of lines of codes, and which countries are already living in the future. Trust me, you do not want to miss this one. But before we jump in, as ever, I'd really like to thank those who've been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. We're back here in Dubai, finally, and I'm seeing here with my co-host, Nick Watson. Say hello. Hi, guys. Nice to be back. How are you doing? Very good. And today we have a really cool guest. His name is Richard Ma. Say hello. Hi, I'm Richard Ma, CEO of Quantstamp, and really appreciate it, Nick and Ahmed, for joining the show. Quick question. Are you not, are you not related to Jack Ma, are you? Aren't you? I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people ask, though. Okay. All right. I thought we'd just sort of get that cleared. Cool. So you're the CEO of Quantstamp. You're here in Dubai with us. You want to give a quick introduction to what Quantstamp is and what you guys do? Sure. Quantstamp, we're a leader in smart contract security. So we started the company in 2017. And currently, we've secured over 60 different blockchain projects for more than $1.5 billion in live deployed value. So we're one of the leading firms in the space. We have a token called QSP where you can get a live automated smart contract scan. And the mission of the company is to protect this new generation of programmable money. So we work with Ethereum, but also other blockchains to build automated verification tools so that as businesses build more and more blockchain projects, they're going to be safe for the millions of users that are using them. And this is smart contract auditing for mostly for Ethereum smart contract codes. So we audit both the blockchain layer and the smart contract layer. Okay. And we started with Ethereum, but we've since then also been auditing other blockchains, for example, EOS and Polkadot, and also permission ledgers like Hyperledger. And when you say audit, what does that actually mean? So auditing means looking at the software to make sure it's working as intended. So I was actually, before I started Quantstamp, I was actually an algorithmic trader on Wall Street. So I started my career trading in derivative markets in Europe as a programmer. And basically over the course of my career, um, I traded markets in Germany, in England, in Korea, in Japan, and later on in U.S. commodity markets, so like gold and crude oil and also corn and other agricultural products. And the software that I wrote, it was very important that it was going to be secure because every day I was handling millions of dollars of transactions. So over the course of my career, I developed a very um, safe way of making 
programs that worked exactly as it was intended. So when we started Quantstamp, me and my co-founder, Steven Stewart, who had a background in software verification, we applied these kind of industrial techniques in security to smart contracts, which at the time were just developing. So I was an early investor in Ethereum, and I actually invested in the DAO at the time, about $25,000 US dollars. And it turned out that there was a bug that kind of was programmed, but it was in Ethereum, code is law. So the intention of the designer and what was written down was slightly different. So one thing we do is try to match the code that's written down with the intention of the coder. And that, that's a very important thing it would do. And the other thing is, to look for ways where people can lock up their funds or where other attackers can exploit and basically steal the funds. It sounds a lot like the legal profession, right? I mean, we were talking about smart contracts. Of course, lawyers' jobs are to either create contracts so that they can't be broken. And it's also for lawyers to figure out how to break the contracts via specific loopholes, especially when it transfers across borders. What it means in the UK or what it means in Germany are two different things in definition. So it's interesting. Code is sort of universal. Code is universal. And you're very right that it's similar to the legal profession in the fact that people used to make contracts written down and you have to kind of go on the good faith idea of the contract which is written, right? So when you go to court, you know, one side is like, this is really the reason why this contract were written this way. And the other side is arguing that, oh, no, these are kind of the principles the contract was written this way, and both people signed it, and you're trying to decipher that, right? So with a program, there's no, it's not no longer open to interpretation. So before the company is deploying this to the blockchain, that's when we're helping them to make sure the interpretation that they have of what they wrote is exactly in line with how they want it to work, you know, for millions of people going forward. How are you seeing the, the evolving of, let's say, the, the traditional chains and the smart contracts attached when it comes to self-adjusting contracts or modularization of contracts so that if there is ever an error or an issue that is found, maybe not today, but later on, that it can be adjusted and changed without having to completely reissue We'll start a new smart contract and then obviously have to go back and track on all the transactions. Yeah, so that's really interesting as well. So I really had the idea to start Quantstamp back in 2016. So back then there were only a handful of auditing companies of very small companies. And there were basically only one chain, Ethereum. And from that perspective, you know, at the beginning, the idea was code is going to be law and everything is going to be immutable. And through 2017 and 2018, there's been new chains that have been created, especially now there's all these permission chains, for example, Hyperledger and Corda, where um, it's much easier to modify transactions after the fact. Right. So on Hyperledger, there's actually no coin you're mostly sending data back and forth. And there's a smaller party that can modify transactions. So the risk in terms of operations is actually much lower 
So that's why a lot of enterprises are choosing to adopt that. And then for the permissionless technologies, even on Ethereum, now there's the concept of upgradable contracts. It's still not being extensively used because when you have an upgradable contract, in the outset, you actually need to audit more code. So because now you have additional libraries that could be modified later on, and these present a wider attack surface for the contract. So for example, let's say you and I, we make a bet that in 2025, Ether is going to be worth $10,000, right? So one of us is, and we're, we're betting this in a smart contract. And let's say that the program over the smart contract had the ability to upgrade it somehow. Let's say the way they upgraded it is they could change the source of data. And let's say the idea they had was, okay, maybe in 2025, you know, there's going to be other sources of data and maybe some current data providers will no longer be accurate, right? So I want to change that, those data sources. But let's say you, in, you know, 2025, the price is actually right before it's actually over $10,000, but you had the ability to use that upgrade function and change the source of data to an inaccurate source. Let's say that that price is $1. Then you can manipulate our bets. So this is the danger with upgrading. So for us, we kind of take that into consideration for these different systems and try to find all the ways that you can manipulate it and highlight it. And the way we highlight it is we have different severity levels. So high is something which could be immediately exploited and something which is kind of more low severity or informational severity level is these kind of downstream effects that could later on happen if, for example, Ethereum gets upgraded or the certain dependencies that it's relying on. For example, the upgradable package. There's other chains like Tezos that's have different types of on-chain governance. So there, the idea is also to try to have an easier way to formalize these process of upgrades by having participants vote. So I think that's another promising direction uh, once there's more usage there. How are you speaking to enterprise at the moment? Do you speak to the legal team? Do you speak to the chief security officer? Do you speak to the CTO, the CIO? Who is really the one that you speak to? So usually enterprises come to us because um, increasingly we're known as the leader in blockchain security. Usually they come to us when they have an idea for a project and they're close to the first implementation of that project. So an example is recently we audited Kakao's GroundX project. So this has been in the works for about a year now, over a year, right? So this Kakao is Korea's largest messaging application. It has market penetration of 97%. And they've been really hard at work. They, they have over a 100-person team that is taking lots of different applications in Korea from some of the largest companies like SK Telecom and trying to build their own application ecosystem on their own blockchain called GroundX. When they came to us, when basically they had testnet that was running, they could demonstrate a lot of the functions that's being tested and they wanted to move to mainnet. 
So at that time, they wanted to verify that, yes, when we bring on these millions of users for this whole application ecosystem, it's going to be a safe experience for them to use. So, so that's a typical process where as they get closer to having value at risk, they come to us. Another example is that uh, in Japan, we actually opened a subsidiary there and some large, well-known automotive company also came to us when they wanted to develop the proof of concept for their supply chain project. So that's, so the people that we're talking to in this first case are the managers of this internal enterprise project. In the second case is the innovation arm of the large, like kind of large automotive companies or large fintech companies. So that's, that's kind of the stakeholders. It's actually usually not the lawyers. It's usually the person who's kind of building the project. Yeah. And then at some point they realize that this is going to be a really big problem, like the security problem. Yeah. And that's when they start looking for answers. And they realize that traditional cybersecurity firms actually don't handle this. I'm, I'm sort of putting my old program developer hat on. How are you finding going into these companies after they've gone pretty much through all their code development and then testing it and then realizing there's absolutely a massive fundamental issue? They're taking traditional coding practices and approach to app development and trying to do it straight out of the box into blockchain and realizing that it's just not going to play well. Are you, are you seeing a lot of issues where it's too late down the line? They might have to go back to scratch and so, uh, redo We've done over 60 audits at this point. The experience is much different now in 2019 than in 2017. Mm. So when we first started in 2017, uh, the projects that were being brought to us were really small projects. So it's like making a token, yeah. making something that's tracking like a product in the real world. So these are really simple applications that we can easily verify. They might take... 20 hours or so. In 2019, some of the systems could take us maybe three to six months to verify. Okay. So the approach we've been taking is also different now. So when we started, it's like they would basically make a final product, send it to us, do a code freeze, and then we would go and verify the product, send them any feedback. They take two weeks, change it, and then now they're live. Uh, in 2019, it's more like they're, they reach out to us when they're in the middle of building this project. Okay. And then we kind of go in already and try to look at the design of the project and see if there's any major issues at that point. And then have these regular check-ins until they're ready to ship. So this, this basically drastically reduces the, the chances for those type of issues. Occasionally, we do have it where we have a project that gives us maybe 45,000 lines of code and say, okay, like we're going to release this in a month. And then we go back to them and say, okay, so we found these 30 different issues uh, in the first pass through. And this is kind of our current security evaluation. Yeah. And just be pretty candid with them about the state where they're at. Okay. So, so that's one area where I think it's, improving like all the companies they're getting really up to speed on blockchain development yeah. more and more resources now than in 2017 
but it's just going to over time get better and better. And then we're also learning how to deal with it as well. So now you, you're here in Dubai, you're with the Dubai Future Accelerators, part of cohort six. And before you guys actually came to the cohort, you were on the global blockchain challenge, the future blockchain summit. So congrats on that again. So what were you guys actually doing in this cohort? What's the relationship with the Dubai government? What, what's the outcome that you guys are trying to achieve? Yeah, so I can talk about it at a high level. So in the cohort six of the Dubai Future Accelerator, they paired us up with the RTA, which is the Road and Transportation Authority. So I think the RTA, they manage all the buses and the metro and all the transportation system here in Dubai. It's a very large organization. And as part of this very large organization, they have lots of different agencies who have different silos of data that they're managing. And they're basically asking Quantstam to help them build a secure system that can improve the way they're syncing the different sources of data to reduce the delays they currently experience from days to seconds. And in terms of the role of blockchain in this, I think it's currently that each of the agencies, they have some ownership over their own data. So they only want to expose some of it and they want to have kind of an independent third party that is syncing and coordinating all the data and proving that, yes, like these things can be shared with another agency when these things is kind of under our own data ownership. And so that's, I think, where the benefit of blockchain comes in. The other thing is that they're using Hyperledger, which is a permissioned ledger. So it has the ability to have millions of transactions um, annually, uh, which is what they want as part of this uh, project. So it's fitting the business use case. It's not a ledger which is publicly accessible to the wider internet like Ethereum is. But I think in terms of government deployments, it makes a lot of sense because as part of the government, they want a lot of things even inside of the UAE, like hosted on local servers. So that's that's kind of, um, it's an improvement over certain types of kind of database technologies that they're using from the early 2000s. And how has it been actually working with the Dubai government and people mm. from RTA like, how's the interaction been? Has it been very sort of welcoming, you know, very open-minded saying, okay, let's do this as soon as possible? Or is it, you know, step-by-step -step sort of process? It's been very open-minded. I think we met a lot of great people, uh, different stakeholders in the RTA. And overall, the impression that we have is... And we discussed with this with our team is that Dubai is kind of living in the future. So like for Quantstamp, we've had clients in other countries. And one thing I think about Dubai is that for a new technology, they're willing to try it out. They're willing to embrace it and even try it inside of the government. And if you imagine, for example, the United States government, they, they have a very different stance. I think it would take maybe on the order of years to get a similar type of project with the DMV, like the Department of Motor Vehicles in the US. So 
it's definitely, I would say they're much faster. They're very rational in terms of looking at the business benefits. The one thing they stress a lot is, okay, what are the concrete business benefits of this? Like looking beyond the hype of blockchain, what is it actually bringing us in terms of improving the government? So I, I like that angle a lot. You've got Dubai and you've then got the Middle East and then you have the globe itself. Overall, where are you seeing the most adoption? I mean, obviously Dubai is quite forward thinking, but outside of that, you have the GCC and then the rest of the world. Where, where is your priority and your, your energy being applied at the moment? So usually what happens at QuantStamp is, so we have offices in San Francisco, in Toronto, Canada, in Taipei, in Taiwan, and also in Tokyo, in Japan. So we have a global team and we also have members that work out of Munich in Germany. So usually it's based on where like clients uh, are building things. And currently what we're seeing is about a third of our business is coming from North America. And then two thirds are basically coming from Asia. So, you know, Korea, Japan, Singapore, these are places, Hong Kong, where a lot of different projects are building. I think because there's there's a kind of a culture of rapid iteration. Yeah. And also there's a lot of retail recognition of blockchain as a technology. And the larger companies are following that trend. So in Actually, in January of 2019, we opened, we announced the, the opening of subsidiary in Japan. And we also announced that Nomura, the largest investment bank in Japan and Digital Garage also invested in QuantStamp because there's so many different applications of blockchain in Japan and already payment technology in Japan is very advanced. There's very good retail understanding of blockchain. So for example, when you walk in the Shibuya crossing, right oh, yeah. in the middle of Tokyo, you'll see billboards for Bitcoin yeah, services. Yeah, I've seen yeah. those. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> the trip cool. to Japan last yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were there. Right? Yeah, we were, yeah, it was a good trip. <laughs> yeah, so. Very confusing, but a good trip. I, I tell you what, I do love the way they run the metros there though. With, oh, all the, yeah. with all the lines on the ground, so you know exactly where you're going. Beats the uh, London Metro. Yeah. So in in many ways, like Japan is also living in the future. Um, and so for QuantStamp, that's what we're all about. Like we think that programmable money is going to be the future for sure. So like internet, the internet really was launched in like the late 90s in terms of traction adoption. And this type of new money is internet native, right? It's global. So that's, that's really what we're seeing in terms of demand. And Korea, I think, is also very far along on that spectrum. So um, the most exciting companies out of Japan right now, one of them is Line. It's the largest messenger application in Japan. They're also building a huge ecosystem. They already have many apps that are live including a version of Augur where you can predict things and you get their token. And that project, the Line um, blockchain project, was also recently approved by the government as well. So I think this, this is going to be a really exciting trend. Millions of people are going to be using these applications on like with microtransactions. And from the company's perspective, it's a way for them to enter e-commerce, right? Because... 
they're looking for more ways to get revenue. And this is a competitor to WeChat. So, yeah. Very interesting. I, I want to dive a little bit deep. I apologize for anybody who's sort of on the consumer side, uh, listening to the podcast. But I think from a consumer's point of view, they like trust with the applications they're working with and the organization. So in cybersecurity and coding and development of any digital application, there are standards of how a business should operate, how the code should operate, and how the interoperability should operate, right? So you have ISO standards, you have IEEE recommendations and standards, and then of course you have organizations like Detnorsk Veritas who will approve and stamp and certify. How far are you guys from sort of being the authority that rubber stamps, this code is great, it, you can trust it as a business, but you can also trust it as someone using or interfacing with that, that environment. This would be a very interesting angle if you guys end up being the standards approver, per se. Yeah, let me talk about three things we're doing on the standards side. So one is we actually started last year something called the Smart Contract Security Alliance. So this is with different stakeholders in the blockchain industry to define a standard. So currently, like, for example, in traditional cybersecurity, there's like NIST, there's like SOC 1, SOC 2, yep. there's the IEEE standards. For blockchain, there's currently no standards. So we, we, we work with Fujitsu and Nomura Research Institute and also blockchain native companies like BlockGeeks and Mithro from Consensus, as well as universities like the National University of Singapore to make a new standard. So currently, this is an open source page that we have uh, on the web. And currently, there's four different standards that we're building. So one is a pre-deployment security standard. So in terms of all personnel, what types of personal data protection and kind of 2FA and systems protection they should have before releasing a blockchain project. The second is a pre-audit checklist. So what are the type of things that you should have in your code base and documentation and testing before getting a security audit? So it's kind of pre-audit. The third is a deployment checklist. So one problem, one thing that actually goes wrong is not during the audit, but during the deployment phase. So recently there was a parity wallet hack number two. Yeah. And there the problem actually happened during the deployment phase. It was a kind of a variable. So we also have a deployment checklist for exactly what steps to go through when putting code to production. And then fourth is actually a standard for how serious a vulnerability is. Mm. So it's a risk assessment model. And we're currently building a fifth standard, which is very common quirks in development that a lot of developers make over and over again. One field is on-chain randomness. So there's a lot of different quirks that everyone... What's on-chain randomness? So it means like, say, generating a random number is a very common problem yeah. you have. So for example, if you wanted to decide, make an on-chain lottery or something, there's lots of different ways to generate these random numbers. Mm, yeah. And they all have different ways that they can actually be exploited. So for a new developer coming in and just writing a really simple Random thing, number, generate. Like block hash. <laughs> Let's use the block hash. It actually has a lot of nuance behind it. So okay. this is a new standard. 
Um, the second thing we're doing is, so we're a member of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, which is the largest blockchain association in the United States with more than 150 members. I'm currently the co-chair of the Smart Contract Alliance mm. there. And the idea there is to come up with new kind of working documents to update everyone on the stand, like yeah. kind of also similar, like the trends in the industry, what we're seeing in cybersecurity, like what we're seeing in smart contract development best practices. And the third thing that we're currently doing is we recently released the first textbook on smart contract security. So it's called Fundamentals of Smart Contract Security, published by Momentum Press. And you can actually get it on Amazon right now. So this is trying to start from the university level for new developers in blockchain courses to also get an understanding of these best practices as well. Right now, there are lots of bodies that are trying to build these standards. So we're just actively involved. I think in the next you know, two to three years or so, you'll see more rigorous ones. Are you guys, are you actually interfacing with some of the commercial entities like DNV, who has a relationship with IOTA? I'm not sure exactly what they're doing specifically there, but I guess it's around some sort of standard structuring of, mm. of how IOTA runs. But what do you, are you working with people to actually push the commercialization of yeah. standards as well as building the standards themselves as a, yeah. a non-profit type association level? There is the yeah. commercialization, especially with Ernst & Young also trying to now offer auditing. Yeah, so currently we're working with Mobi, which is the largest association in the automotive industry. Okay. So they have their members include Nissan, Renault, BMW. And what they're doing is that for the automotive industry, um, to build a blockchain project, you need kind of all these same pieces. Yeah. So for example, one thing you need is a vehicle ID, is kind of vehicle identification. And it would be really great if all the different OEMs use the exact same specification there. Fair so we're actually a co-author in this vehicle ID standard, which is being published soon. Uh, and the idea is that because there's so many OEMs and car makers inside of Mobi, I think currently it's more than 50 members that the whole industry will use that standard going forward. And then after that, I think they're also developing other use cases within Mobi and will be involved because we're like an active member. I'm not an automotive guy, but just to clarify, there is no standard on There's setting... There's no standard on that, right? Really? Now. In the automotive in industry? For, for blockchain identification. Ah, okay. Right. But so, there is a standard in chassis numbering and all sure. that sort of stuff. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the, so the, the standard <laughs> for vehicles is called VIN. Yeah. So, yeah, the, number, yeah. yeah, so it's the VIN. So for blockchain, it's going to be called the VID. And it needs some additional things to make it kind of... Uh, Interesting. It's not just a variable of the VIN. It, there's a no. lot more to go into it. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. I guess from a, a matter of traditional coding and writing applications that use a VIN, they would just have a variable called VIN. And in your case, you need to actually have much more complexity around it. Yeah. So it's kind of in terms of the implementation and interoperability of these different uh, identification systems. Very nice. Yeah, that, that would definitely, re it would be really interesting to see how that develops, interoperability between the new and the, you know, and I, the traditional. I, I think there's actually a genuine series yeah. of potential podcasts just around this concept of 
traditional code versus new world coding and the way you think about how to interoperate, yeah. especially on decentralized systems where interoperability is the fundamental key. Yeah, it's different in every vertical. So we're also working with um, some agricultural companies that are doing tracking for um, basically different commercial products through the supply chain. And there the kind of nuances are also different as well. I wanted to go back to something that you said previously, QSP, which is mm. the token of Quantstamp. So I've been looking into it, spoke to your colleagues about it, but I want to hear it from you, the, the token itself. What, why did you guys create a token? What's the u- utility behind it? Mm. And yeah, I mean, if you give us a quick background about it. Yeah, so I think currently the industry is developing. So there's more and more projects that are building blockchain systems. So right now on the Ethereum network, there's about 12 million smart contracts. So when we started the company, there were about 300,000 smart contracts. And when we were starting, we were predicting that it's going to be growing exponentially, which is exactly what it's been doing. And one thing about the enterprise side of our business is that we really can't handle that many projects at once because there's only so many auditors in the world that can do this type of work and who are experienced enough to do this auditing. So really the future of this security is going to be based on software and not humans. Mm. And right now the software is starting to become more sophisticated. So over the last two years, we've done a lot of work to improve our automated security auditing software. And this is currently on version two and it's live on the Ethereum network. So over the last year or so, we've had three versions of this product, version one, version beta net, and then version two. We've had about 800 different automated security audits that's done over this network. So basically anyone in the world can buy an automated security audit. Currently it costs about $30. And the idea is that if they can't pay for a full security audit with humans, they can get a minimum level of assurance that this is working and they can share that with anyone in the world as well. And it can check for things that have basically been bugs in the past. So one thing that happened in the DAO is there's a reentrancy attack. So currently our software can automatically check for that so that anybody cannot make the same mistake. And this is, we can check for all instances of reentrance. So these checks and balances are recorded in the protocol that you've developed. Yeah. Which, okay, which has the, the token and that's how you could sort of... That's how you pay for it. Yeah. That's also how you do staking. So right now, the version of the software is open source. And if you wanted to run a node, you would stake 50,000 of the tokens and you'd be able to run it and earn from people who request security audits. So from our perspective, I think it's still early. We're seeing adoption. And over time, I think there will be more because just more people developing these projects. And over time, we're also making it more sophisticated because of all the work that we're doing to learn exactly 
how to check these bugs. So that, mean th that means the nodes themselves would be running the security audit, the automated security audit. Yeah. So that means like how people fight for, to mine a block on the Bitcoin blockchain, people fight to essentially audit a, a smart contract. Yeah, so there's a, there's a bidding system currently. So nodes bid a price that they're willing to mine essentially to do the verification. And then people submit a price that they're willing to pay. And the system will assign it to one of the nodes and they will run it on the server and give the result. And currently, I think one of the exciting things about it is that it opens up this to anybody. So QuantStamp doesn't need to like always be the trusted party to run everything. So currently there's nodes that are running in Australia, in Thailand, in Japan, in Portugal. There's three nodes that are running in the Netherlands. And then there's nodes in like North America. Uh, we're still waiting for South America and Africa to onboard. Middle East? Middle East, uh, also not yet. Still waiting for someone to onboard. But, you know, it's, it's actually really easy. So it takes about maybe an hour or so to set up a node. So I think that's also an exciting thing that we're doing. Obviously, like, we're at the frontiers in terms of what is possible. So essentially what we built was a peer-to-peer file-sharing network with compensation. Um, and this is really new. So... We think that over time, there will be other exciting uses for this as well in the security space. Okay, interesting. If, we, if somebody's out there listening to this and they've developed a smart contract, yeah. how far will the online on-demand version take them in terms of checking their contract? So what will be the base fundamentals you will check for? And then really after that, you need a human. It's, so the online checker it actually checks for a lot of things. So I think... Currently, the list is about 25 different bugs. That includes overflow and underflow. So these are really common errors. Yeah. It includes assertion failures. It includes checking for external dependencies that may be unreliable. Mm -hmm. And also the online checker, it highlights which line has these issues. It can also check for things where you don't actually have the source code. So one really cool thing we did was we built a decompiler into our online checker. So if you just point it at any live Ethereum address, even if it doesn't have source code, we'll decompile the source code for you and stick it into our analyzers nice. and still give you out a result to check for these common bugs. So it's actually quite powerful already, the system that's out there. Has anyone come and told you, oh, this is wrong? Um, as in, this, this is not an actual bug? Yeah. Oh, um, so, so one quirk of the system is that like all formal verification systems, there are false positives. Yes. Yeah. So it's actually expected that some of the uh, results could be wrong. And it's up to the developer to now have a very targeted look at that exact thing and check it basically in a minute to make sure if it's right or wrong. But it's completely isolating the things that you need to check for. Prior to us starting the podcast, we were talking about advanced technologies and AI, machine learning. Go on then, wow us with where you're going in the future with this, if you are. Where, are you, are you going to start shoving in high-grade code into the system and it will just work out how to detect bugs and then just go out there and find stuff? So I think one thing that was in the news recently was the Boeing 737 mm. MAX. 
So often in these kind of aviation or industrial systems where it's mission critical, they actually use formal verification. Mm. Right now, the cost of doing formal verification is still quite high. So you need the experts who can set up the system and point it at the right variables and set up the framework to get meaningful results out of it. Um, I think one thing that is going to be very interesting going forward is as the whole financial system moves onto this internet programmable global money, more and more of these advancements in form of verification are going to be applied. So, and behind that, there is an AI component to it. So currently there's competitions to improve the form of verification techniques. So they use different heuristics. They use uh, some AI techniques. So I used to work in machine learning and I think the term AI is overly broad, but there are certain kind of data science techniques that is used behind the scenes in these analyzers. The other thing that I think will push the envelope is quantum computing. So recently, Google announced that they've basically started on this Moore's law of quantum computing. And over the next, I think, decade, quantum computing is going to be more and more a factor in potentially breaking a lot of the encryption that is on the internet right now. For example, SSL and DLS, those are not quantum resistant encryption algorithms. So over time, I think where QuantStamp could have an important role to play is also making sure everyone is safe from those type of hacks on the blockchain, as well as the hacks that are verifying things and making sure code is working as intended. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think, the frontier. Interesting. Right? So before we close off, we always ask a couple of questions, like quick fire on questions. Do you eat your own dog food? Yeah. So we use these automated tools for every audit we do because okay. it saves us time. <laughs> so if you imagine like you're trying to look every single line for one of these bugs, it's pretty tiring to do, especially if it's a large code base. So anything we can do to speed up our own audits, that's what we do. All right. And if you were to recommend two people that we could interview for the podcast, who would you recommend? Oh, uh, I recommend Remco Blumen from Zero X. Mm -hmm. I would recommend Devin Fincer from OpenSea. Okay. Yeah. OpenSea, I've heard of those guys. So I'm, a, I'm also an investor in OpenSea. So okay. if you need an intro, happy to intro. Well. Awesome. Sounds good. How could people find out more about you or to get in contact with you? How could they reach out? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Quantstamp. And our website is quantstamp.com. And if you want to try out the automated protocol and you have MetaMask installed, you can go to protocol.quantstamp.com. Great. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Richard, for, for coming on. Great. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you.